Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on Dish, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning. It's Tuesday. <clears throat> Tapioca Tuesday. No. Tacos. Uh, tem- t- tempura Tuesday. I don't know. Something to do with food. How about that? It's uh, it's just a beautiful Tuesday morning. A little, uh, little brisk outside, but not too bad. And we are ready to go for this uh, beautiful day to uh, jump into everything that has to do with good stuff. Uh, here in the state of Alaska, we've got your weekly top three, which we're about to dive into with Brad Keithley for Alaska's Four Sustainable Budgets. Um, unfortunately, in hour two today, we're not going to have Chris Story because um, he pansied out on me. No, he's got other things going on. He's going to be, he's, he's, I don't know, he's going to be with us on Thursday. It's, you know, he's always here to just mess up my schedule. That's how he is. So we're going to have to lick our own wounds today after dealing with Brad. All right. I'm just going to say he's the, he's got the, he's got the, the knives and the rack and the torture devices, and he's going to hit us with all the hard truths. And then we're going to have to just kind of, we'll be on our own. We're limp around for a while and deal with some of that stuff. So that's today's show. Um, we, uh, I, I don't know. I got some other stuff that we're going to talk about, some interesting stories and more. Um, and then uh, tomorrow, hopefully, uh, we will have uh, uh, Mike Shower and uh, some other things to talk about. But uh, as I said, since it's Tuesday and that means the weekly top three, that means Brad Keithley is waiting in the wings. He's in the green room right now hoarding all the virtual donuts. Damn him and his virtual donut hoarding. <laughs> he joins us this morning to talk about stuff. Good morning, sir. How uh, how are you this morning? Good morning, Michael. I'm doing great. Um, it's Halloween, which is a which is a good day, and also it is eggnog season. So oh. I'm, uh, he got his eggnog. Are you one of those guys that's got a separate refrigerator? You go to Costco, you buy all the eggnog, and you drink it for the next four months after it's out of, you know. I swear I would. I've, go ahead. I, I've been known to take a carton or three or four, but I, you know, I, I don't take all of it. It was sometime in, it must have been March or April, and I went into the, we've got a second refrigerator in the garage because, hey, we're a family of you know, a million people. And uh, and I opened the refrigerator and I looked in the back and I'm like, what is that? And there it is, a single carton of eggnog, unopened eggnog that somebody had been bogarting in the back of the fridge for how long, you know, I don't even know if it was any good anymore. But uh, yeah, that's how it is around my house. I tell you what, eggnog, oh man. There's something, and I'll tell you right now, the best eggnog in the world, Matanuska-made eggnog. You, of course, you can't get it anymore, but it was the most delicious eggnog. You will. I have tried to find something that compares to it. Not a single brand is as good as Matanuska-made eggnog was. 
back in the day. Uh, definitely uh, uh, delicious. It is one of my major laments uh, with the closure of the Matanuska made dairy. I'll uh, I'll agree with that. I I regularly during eggnog season go through different phases. You know, I'll start with the with the basic and go to Jack Daniels, or I'll start with Jack Daniels and go through go through others. But uh, uh, Matanuska made was very good. I agree with that. Closest to it right now is the Derigold Old Fashioned Eggnog. That's about as close as you can get these days. So you're an eggnog connoisseur. Oh man, I gotta tell you, you know. And then of course my grandfather makes a home. My grandfather passed down his recipe for a homemade eggnog. That's a whole different critter that is absolutely delicious as well. I guarantee you I'm gonna make it. Th- keep saying I'm gonna make it. I haven't made it for four years, three or four years. This year I'm gonna make it for sure. All right. Anyway, enough of the uh, enough of the frivolous no actually that's important stuff i guess we'll get on to the frivolous stuff now the weekly top three uh brad um you got there's some doozies on here this week uh i gotta tell you and my head is just spinning with some of the stuff that's going on here so let's start off with number one Uh, a question are the republicans in the state of alaska giving up on the market economy, on the free market, are they have they just decided to just pitch that to the curb in light of getting whatever we want? What what? Give us your thoughts here. Let's hit let's hit this from the beginning. So this is all about the Cook Inlet, and this is all about Cook Inlet gas and the announcements that the Republicans have made. The Repu- Dunleavy administration has made the last two weeks first by the Department of Natural Resources head to reduce uh, 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 the royalties change the royalties from a fixed royalty to a net profits royalty uh, on new leases. And then last week, an announcement by Dunleavy himself uh, that they were going to submit legislation to reduce royalties on existing leases, not on existing production, but on existing leases where there's where there isn't any production yet uh, and reduce that royalty uh, down uh, significantly. Um, and then the to sort of pile on, uh, the the House Republican majority uh, issuing a press release shortly after Dunleavy's press conference saying, "Oh, that's a good thing. We want to we want to pursue that." So here's here's my problem with all that. The, the in in a in a market economy, what is supposed to happen when you have a supply shortage or an excess demand is price is supposed to operate. And, and, and price is supposed to increase, the, the, the price that willing buyers are, are prepared to pay to willing sellers is supposed to increase to the level necessary to provide, here's the word that, that the Republicans use, but they use it wrongly, to provide an incentive to the producers to produce additional product uh, to meet the demand. Price is the leveling, is the leveling uh, um, uh, technique uh, in a market economy. And it's not that it's not that it's not operating in this economy. I mean, I've been it, I was back in some of these discussions in the early 20 teens when we were going through this before. And it's not that the producers that there isn't a price at which the producers would be willing to explore and produce. It's just that it's a very high price. And it's a price that the that the purchasers in in the case of the Cook Inlet, NSTAR and the electric utilities, which is now Chugach, used to be Chugach and MLMP, but now it's Chugach, it's at a price that the that the that the purchasers don't want to pay. And and so and they and they don't want to pay it because they're concerned that it would be a high price that would get them in trouble with their consumers and with their with their ratepayers, that they get pushback on it. 
and that consumers would look for other alternatives than perhaps look for other alternatives than the price that, that is being charged by the utilities, like additional uh, 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 conservation measures, additional insulation, additional in the case of the heating market or renewables in the case of the uh, in the case of the electric market. So what the the normal market function would function here, but you've got you've got the demand side, the purchase side that doesn't want to pay the price. Um, and so what's the Dunleavy administration doing in this situation? What are Republicans doing in this situation? <laughs> they're intervening in the market. They're, 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 they're creating uh, an intervention in the market to subsidize the price. And that subsidy is going to come in the form, is proposed to come in the form of reducing supply costs by reducing the level of royalty that the state would take um, out of production. If, the, if price was allowed to operate, a number of things might happen. But one of the, thing, one of the things that might happen if price was allowed to operate, if the purchasers were willing to pay the price the producers uh, uh, wanted in order, to, in order to sell, is that the price would go up and the royalties to the state would increase because the royalties under the current leases are tied to, are tied, tied to price. So if the market operated, all of the state would, South Central would have higher energy costs. I grant you that. But the, but the state as a whole would have higher royalties, would have higher revenues, would have lower de deficits, and we'd have higher PFDs because, because the PFDs are now being cut to match the deficit. So it would all shake out that higher royalties would, higher price would result in higher royalties, would result in, in lower PFD cuts. But the but the Dunleavy administration and and the Republicans in general are intervening in the or want to intervene in the market to avoid that happening and to subsidize essentially by lowering supply costs at the expense of the state subsidize um, uh, uh, supplies uh, into uh, into uh, into South Central into the into the Anchorage market the Cook the Cook Inlet market and that's just you know that's something you'd expect out of Democrats. Market intervention, government intervention in market function is something you would expect out of Democrats, but not something you should expect out of Republicans. I will say this. It's better what Dunleavy's proposing is slightly better than what uh, Parnell did back in the 20 teens when he proposed, when he essentially, he and the legislature essentially passed a bunch of credits that directly transferred money right. from the state into um, into the producers. And that was, I mean, that was more market intervention, but this is still market intervention, uh, by the, by the Dunleavy administration, but, by those who on any given day will say, oh, we believe in markets. We believe in the free right, market. We believe right. in market function. Uh, but, 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 but Brad, we must do something. I mean, that's, you know, you can, I mean, I can hear it already, but, but, but we've got to do something. Not that the market will take care of itself, not that things like that will, will go forward, but, you know, we have got to do something and be seen to be doing something to make this happen. That's the thing. This is, this is all about being seen. And some of the, and some of the optimism on some of the, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, uh, Comments in here. This is again from the James Brooks article in the Alaska Beacon talking about the governor's announcement. He says the problem isn't one of supply. Cook Inlet gas remains or Cook Inlet remains gas rich, but one of development. There are a few other producers who have been slow to drill new wells, including Hillcorp. Uh, so, I mean, but OK, 
you you know there's gas out there, so it's making. I mean, this is it's. They've got to do something. They've got to be seen doing something. The, the, what they what they what they're really saying when you strip through all this is we've got to subsidize the Anchorage energy market, the South Central energy market. That's really what they're saying, and we're willing to do it at the expense of the remainder of the state. Uh, at the expense of, of of reducing royalty income, and as a result, increasing PFD cuts, we're willing to do it at the remainder of the state. But we've got to subsidize the the Anchorage market. I mean, if the market if the market was allowed to operate, what would happen is the next best alternative, which is likely LNG imports, would be on the horizon. That's where we are now, and 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 purchasers who would be purchasing the LNG imports would say, look, before we go down this road, we're willing to pay you a price that's near to what we would be paying the LNG imports. But, but in order to avoid the LNG imports, we want a little bit of a, of, a, of a discount off that. That's the price we're willing to pay. And the producers would respond either, yes, that's an acceptable price that will, that will incentivize us to produce, or no, it won't. In which event we bring in a better alternative, the, the better alternative, the less, the ec- the more economically efficient alternative, which is, which is LNG. But what what the Dunleavy administration, what the Parnell administration did? I mean, my problems with this go back to the Parnell administration. What they're doing is they're shortcut is they're short circuiting the market. They're not allowing the market to operate. They're 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 taking, you know, Chugaches and NSTARs in transigence in in offering higher price. They're taking that as as sort of a given, and they're saying, "Okay, well, we'll intervene in the market. Right. <laughs> we'll help you out, and we'll come in and we'll reduce the state's royalty in order to subsidize the producers." I mean, the producers are going to get the same margin, right? It's just that the state's taking the hit, or else they wouldn't, or else they won't, they won't invest. I mean, the producers are all about margins. They don't really care what the price is. They're all about margins, and 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 what the state's saying is, "Okay, we'll subsidize you." We'll give you the same margin by reducing your supply cost, and 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 so you won't have to charge as much to the to South Central to the to the consumers to uh, to to incentive or to get to incentivize you to to produce. It's it's market failure. I mean, and the Dunleavy administration is allowing the intransigence of the purchasers to pay the price necessary to elicit the supplies that the Dunleavy administration itself admits are there. It's it's allowing that intransigence of the purchasers to pay the supply to 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 control the state, to control what the state does, to to set royalty levels. I mean, it's just it's a mess, and it's a mess anytime you intervene in markets. And now we've got Republicans in the state of Alaska intervening in markets in order to create subsidies for 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 South Central in this case. I also think you're scooping up a tremendous amount of hopium here, thinking that somehow. Uh, that that because there's they would spend less that somehow that would increase our PFD. I love how your optimism on that is. I mean, it's it's definitely verging into the hopium category because they're going to spend every dollar. They would use that dollar on something else if they didn't spend it on that. But that's I mean, it's but it's true. This this whole idea of intervening in the market somehow they're smarter than market forces. That's the that's the answer. And we see that time and time and time again. Government's always been smarter than market forces, not not letting it even itself out, but somehow they'll be able to smooth out the highs and the lows, and all they end up doing is creating a lower average for everything. Um, all right, we got to go. Uh, we're back with more. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. 
common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Brad Keithley, our guest. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, we're in the break right now. Brad Keithley. Whoa, Brad Keithley is our guest. Um, and uh, Donna asks the question that I think several people are asking themselves. Is Brad saying that Cook Inlet LNG extraction would happen without the proposed discounts or that Alaska should just import LNG at higher prices? And I think what he's saying is one of those two things was going to happen anyway. We're looking for the lesser we're looking for the one that's going to be most affordable, right? I mean, the, one of the two is going to happen. So which one is it going to be? But the government shouldn't be intervening to try and make one happen over the other. Is that what you're saying, Brad? Am I am I summating that properly? Well, we'll never know because, because we're not allowing the market to operate. I mean, well, the state's just throwing in subsidies. We don't know if the amount of subsidies are right or if they're wrong or if they're too much. I mean, the, as we talked about on last week's show, um, there is existing statutory authority for DNR, which has control over state leases, oil and gas leases, for DNR to reduce royalties where the producer can show, can demonstrate that that reducing the royalty would produce would would produce would result in additional production, would result in additional development and additional production. There's existing statutory statutory authority on the books for DNR to do that, both with respect to new leases and with respect to existing leases, new production areas uh, in existing leases, um, which is a subsidy, but at least it's a targeted subsidy uh, uh, in that case. If we're going to go down the road, at least it's targeted on those where the producer demonstrates that this additional uh, this additional relief would result in uh, additional development and, and likely additional additional production. What the Dudley administration is proposing to do is just give a blanket um, uh, exception, a blanket subsidy across the board for all new leases and all new fields. I mean, what this latest announcement is, is all new fields inside existing leases. Give a blanket, whether the producer can demonstrate whether the producer is, is, is right. can, can demonstrate that it needs the needs the relief or or not. Just give it away. And so, it's for and it's for the life of the field. We talked about this last week, right? Because you said the answer is not just to give you know leases and fields without royalties, you know, ad nauseum or or forever, but instead, you know, give the give the lease as it is right now with the royalty, and then say for the time being we'll eliminate the royalty until such time as we deem that it needs to kick back in. But if they start it without the royalty, then that's it. It's the lease forever, right? That's kind of what you said last week. Well, I, that's sort of where our discussion went last week. Yeah. What the Dunleavy administration is proposing is, in fact, limited. I mean, they're proposing to reduce royalties for in the legislation that, that the governor outlined his press release. He's proposing to reduce the royalty for 10 years. And then presumably it kicks up to some other level, although he was unclear. The, the discussion didn't didn't identify what that what that other level is. That sort of matches what what the what the oil tax does on the North Slope uh, for new field discoveries um, in, in existing leases. For new field discoveries, there's a reduced tax uh, for ten years. Maybe it's five years now. They amended that, but but there's a reduced uh, uh, tax for a given period, and then and then the regular tax kicks back in. So the governor is limiting it. But 
but my point last week that sort of led to that discussion was what if, you know, in this exploration, they find a pika, uh, a, a gas pika, right, or even, right. even an oil pika, right. uh, a huge amount, uh, and, and such that it would have been economic to produce anyway, uh, even at the existing uh, royalty rate, indeed might even generate some taxes for us. Um, and but we've given a blanket, a blanket right. uh, uh, release at least for a period of time, a blanket uh, uh, right. waiver uh, for royalty to that. I think Brian, Look, the market go ahead. To, to get to get back to get back to Donna's point, the market sometimes does demand higher prices. Yes, that's what markets do, and 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 we we accept that in other situations. Now we're saying in this situation, though, we're not going to accept that. I think Brian summates it nicely. He says no. We're looking for a market choice. That's what we're looking for. And I would agree with that. And we shouldn't be giving away our resources. That's the, I mean, you know, we, we can agree on that. We shouldn't be giving them away or again, violating the whole market principle and allow government to continue to intervene. All right. 12, uh, 12 seconds here. We're going to jump back into it to Brad Keithley, Alaskans for sustainable budgets. We're ready to go. Common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. I don't know what you mean at all. Perfect angel. That's what my mom said every day. Uh, we're ready to go. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, number two of the weekly top three. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. You can find him at ak4sb.com or on Facebook or Twitter, X, whatever they're calling it these days. Uh, he was willing to argue with you on any point you want uh, as you go through there. Uh, Brad, number two of the weekly top three. Uh, and this is just, again, more, uh, I, I can't even wrap my brain around it. This piece, it's, uh, more spending without the question of who pays. This is a piece from Donna Mears over, uh, representative Donna Mears about Medicaid cuts. And there are, there's so much wrong with this article, so much wrong with this opinion piece, but, uh, give me, give me your thoughts on it. <laughs> You know, I, we ought to switch roles. I ought to just tee this up and let you take off. Oh my God! Uh, I I'm going to this article. Trust me, I'm going to tear this apart in the next hour because I'm going to go through this thing line by line, and just point to the absolute insanity that this article indicates. Go ahead. Uh, well, the headline tells it all. The headline is, and this is as you said, a piece by Donna Mears, Representative Donna Mears. Medicaid cuts threaten the broader economy, and and basically, this article says. We need to restart. We've had a bunch of Medicaid cuts. It starts out with the with the with the fact that we've had a bunch of Medicaid cuts since COVID, because the feds have reinstituted the rule that you have to prove you're 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 qualified for Medicaid, uh, which is a standing rule uh, standing rule before COVID. It was suspended during COVID. Now reinstituted. You have to prove you qualify for Medicaid in order to have Medicaid uh, continue uh, uh, after the after after a qualification period. Um, and and we've had a bunch of uh, disqualifications or, un or 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 absence of requalifications occurring as a result of going back into this qualification rule. And there's various theories on why that is. Um, Mears's uh, Representative Mears's uh, uh, guesstimate 
is that it's because people don't know that they need to requalify or they aren't getting the paperwork or they've moved or they don't have the time or, or various excuses on why they haven't requalified. Um, and, but the, the net result of whatever the reason is, the net result is there's been a significant drop uh, in Medicaid qualifications in the state. That results in a drop in both state aid uh, to Medicaid, as well as state spending for Medicaid, state roughly uh, uh, covers 50% of the cost of Medicaid. There's some exceptions to that, but plus or minus is 50% of the cost. So there's been a, a reduction in federal aid for Medicaid, federal payments for Medicaid, and a reduction in state payments going out the door for Medicaid. And and Mears's, <laughs> Mears, in an effort to try to argue that, that we ought to, you know, do something about this qualification issue. We ought to, we ought to, you know, suspend the rules, or we ought to do something to requalify all these people that are being coming becoming unqualified. That the reason we ought to do that is because Medicaid payments into the medical community are so are so important. The medic, the hospital, the health community in in, in Anchorage in particular, but throughout the state, uh, generally the health community is a big contributor to the economy. Um, Medicaid is a big part of the funding for the health community. If we see a drop off in that funding, we see a drop off in the in, in funds going to the health community and we see a drop off in uh, uh, in economic activity. And in fact, she she does a calculation that tries to show a drop in GDP, state GDP that will result from this unfunding of uh, of, of Medicaid and and goes so far as to say it will result in a recession. Uh, in the state uh, as a result of the drop in Medicaid. And so she argues for, you know, we need this, we need this additional Medicaid spending. We need this additional uh, uh, money to go into the, uh, to go into the economy. All of that, I mean, you're going to, you're going to blast that for the next hour. I am absolutely confident. My point is this, whenever anybody talks about increased spending, whenever anybody talks about, we need to spend more, in this case, we need to, we need to rebuild the state spending for Medicaid. My question is always should be the first question out of my mouth is who pays? Who are you proposing pay for that additional spending? And it's a question that nobody, <laughs> the Republicans don't answer it when I when we're talking about royalty or suspended royalty payments. The Democrats don't answer it when they're talking about increased spending for K through 12 or reinstituted spending for for Medicaid. Nobody talks about who pays. Nobody's willing to address that issue. The result of which is it's coming out of the PFD. The result of which is it's just silently being, you know, Bert silently reducing the PFD to balance the budget, uh, taxing middle and lower income Alaska families to, to balance the budget. And it's just, it galls me every time I see one of these, you know, if we would have had more in the first segment, I would have talked about how it galls me that the Republicans aren't talking about who's going to pay for these subsidies that they want to throw into South Central. It galls me when the Democrats have these have these have these commentaries that say we need to increase K through 12 or we need to increase K Medicaid or we need to increase anything and they don't talk about who's going to pay for it they don't want to confront that because they know what the answer is and they don't want to have to admit that it's the very people they claim to be helping that are going to be hurt uh, as a result of uh, as a result of the increase increasing PFD cuts in order to pay for these sorts of things 
Well, and the worst part about this one is it's not just the Alaskans, uh, not just the state of Alaska part of the kick, but again, it's more about sucking more money out of the federal government to bolster the Alaska GDP. That's, I mean, that's the worst part about this is that, oh, we won't get this federal aid and the federal aid helps bolster the economy. And I mean, is that what we want is we want to create a dependency society where we are dependent on all these federal dollars paid for by other people, by the way. We take in much more in federal revenue than we expend out in tax uh, in tax revenues for the uh, for the federal for the federal government, and so that's what it becomes. We just become a welfare state more and more with every passing year, and we become more dependent on the largesse of the government just to continue to survive. Well, in the case in the case of Medicaid, Michael, it's actually both. I mean, because as I said, Medicaid's split about oh, yeah. 50, 50 between between state state funds and federal funds. And so she's 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 not only complaining about, you know, the absence of federal funds that we want these federal funds back, but but by implication, she's also saying, oh, we need more state funds. We need the state funds to match to do that. This, this isn't I mean, this sort of of. Um, this sort of, uh, uh, you know, I want more federal funding isn't partisan. I mean, you see Dan Sullivan talk about it when he talks about yeah. stationing more troops or no. more airplanes yeah. or, or more military in Alaska. It's it and 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 you know when people talk about more broadband in Alaska, more money for broadband, more money to help GCI meet meet their meet their objectives uh, in Alaska, or you know more money for for roads for you know federal funds for roads, or it, it's just it goes on and on and on. This is another example of it, uh, but it just goes on and on and on. No, I mean, look, I, that's the thing. All I can do is when I picture Alaskans, you know, in general in the United States, they're the poor cousins that are sitting there with their hand out of the back of the line going, you know, please, we need more. We need more. We need. Now, I would I could make an argument about roads and infrastructure that we were promised that we never got and uh, that those monies have been misspent or misappropriated over the years. And we still deserve the infrastructure that we were promised at statehood, yada, yada, yada. But the thing is, is that that's just a fraction of the money that we're getting. The rest of it's going to programs like this, which is just freaking stupid that we cannot in our own state be self-sufficient in these cases when we are really one of the richer states in the country and we have kind of access to our own destinies here but instead we've gotten so used to lying over and on the on the government teat that we don't even know we can't even imagine a place where we are are self-sufficient in our own uh in our own state yep yeah well it's <laughs> it, it it is it is that also and certainly, you know, her argument is we need we need these funds, these federal funds to help bolster the 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 uh, uh, bolster the GDP or else we're going to go into a recession. It's certainly it's certainly in part that. But it's also in part. I mean, in the case of Medicaid, it's also in part we need more state funding. We need to, you know, where we might have savings, where we might have savings in state spending as a result of the reduction in Medicaid costs. We shouldn't do that. We need to we need to bolster we need to get medicaid back up and we need to recycle those state funds right back into the health sector or else you know the health sector may decline and that's going to kick off all sorts of uh, all sorts of bad recession so no. it's it's a interesting article as i say you're probably going to spend the entire second hour on various aspects of it oh, okay. but i just wanted to make clear that that it's another one of those ooh we need more funding we need more state spending 
we need we need we need the state to step in here but yeah i don't want to address who's going to pay for all that well and as you said this there's a theme of this i mean this could be again applied back to number one and we got a couple minutes here so i mean back to number one talking about again republicans intervening in the market in the in the gas for the cook inlet gas it's the same kind of thing nobody's asking i mean this is a theme that could almost go through every one of the weekly top three items every freaking week which is who pays and the question is, who is paying? And as the state continues to expend more money than it takes in year after year after year, the bottom line is the people who pay are the median and lower income Alaskans. Those are the ones who are paying because their money, their share as royalty owners in the state of Alaska is being taken by the government by force and used and spent uh, to bolster up all this government government programs that are out there, and they're the ones that are paying the highest percentile price of any of this. Yeah, exactly right, Michael. And and the other and the other piece of that, it's not only that middle and lower income Alaskans are paying for it, paying disproportionately, vastly disproportionately for it, for it. But it's that it's that it's that the top twenty percent and the oil industry and non residents aren't paying any of it. And so they have no incentive to put on the brakes. I mean, from the standpoint, from the standpoint of the Mirrors article, the docs are the, the doctors, health community, are the real beneficiaries of Medicaid, right? I mean, the money doesn't go to middle in to lower income Alaska families. It 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 is paid on their behalf to the docs. It's the docs who get the money, the hospital, the, the the medical community that gets the money. They're the ones that get it. Yet, because we use PFD cuts to, and the docs are in the top 20%, yet because we use PFD cuts to fund it, the docs don't have to pay anything for it. So there's no disincentive for them to say more, 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 more. I mean, I, you and I go back to this sometimes, but, but one of the sh most shocking things was to me was early in the Dunleavy administration when he was still pressing for spending cuts and Medicaid was one of the areas that he was, that he was pressing for spending cuts. Uh, a meeting that he went to with doctors where the doctor said, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't cut this area. This is, this is hugely important to us. This is a bunch of our, a bunch of our revenue. You can't, it wasn't, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, you know, the sick and, and, and infirm that were complaining about the Medicaid cuts. It wasn't their groups. It was the doctors that were complaining about, about cuts to Medicaid because, because it was cutting their revenue that they're fine. They're fine with continuing that spending and using PFD cuts to pay for it because they get the best of both worlds. They get the revenue and they don't have to pay for it. They don't have to, they don't have to contribute to the cost. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there, there's all sorts of problems that we are creating in this economy by the subsidies that we're doing um, uh, and, and who's paying the costs of those subsidies and who's not paying the costs uh, of those subsidies. Again, the one question that doesn't seem to get asked is who pays in the long run. It's always just free money from somewhere. That seems to be how they act. It's just always free money from somewhere, uh, and they need to get their fair share of it. All right, Brad, quick tease, 20 seconds, number three. Number three is there's actually a piece of good news uh, on the K-12 through front. Uh, it sort of reverses a piece of bad news that we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, and I want to talk about that small piece of good news on the K through 12 front. So bad news and good news uh, on the K 12 front. We're going to continue with this. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three continues. We're going to be back.
right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Brad Keithley, our guest, uh, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. <laughs> Gail said, remember when Al Gross bragged about how easy it was to bill a million dollars? Yeah. That's exactly kind of what we're pointing at here. Uh, oh, hey, the other thing was uh, I did see this. And, Brad, I don't know if you saw this story this morning about the permanent fund basically nixing the aggressive investment plan, uh, it, you know, there that they had been talking about uh, to get the fund to $100 billion in a few years. Uh, wasn't that the Stedman and Geisel, weren't they big fans of that aggressive investing, says Gail? Maybe they're not entirely in the pocket of what's going on with the uh, powers that be in the Senate. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good piece of news, I guess, at least. Well, it is a good piece of news, sort of, for now. I mean, I, I don't think that battle's over. Basically, what happened yesterday was they had the special meeting where they could have engaged in, uh, uh, in, in various things, including you know, debt finance, investing, borrowing a bunch of money in order to invest it on the expectation that the returns would exceed the cost of the debt. And they, would, they would get a margin off that like hedge funds do, um, essentially turning our permanent fund into a hedge fund. Uh, there was an, another proposal to be more aggressive uh, in investing uh, and, uh, and go after higher risk uh, investments in the, ex in the hope that they would result in higher reward, uh, uh, higher payoffs. That's sort of what some of the retirement funds that have since gone bankrupt did. Um, and there were a couple of other proposals. I, I didn't take what came out of yesterday's meeting as as a stake through the heart of those proposals. I took it more as, yeah, we're not ready to do that right yet because we really haven't explained it to anybody. Um, I suspect we will see efforts uh, to push those along because what the Dunleavy administration is trying to do, what those on the board who are pushing this, uh, who were appointed by Dunleavy, are trying to do is they're trying to get the permanent fund to a size where it can fund government. Forget about the PFD. They're not really concerned about the right, PFD. Right. Get it to a size where they can fund government so they don't have to tax anybody uh, for, the, uh, for the additional spending so they can you know, avoid those taxes. So it's, I, it, it is a, it's, it's a good thing that it didn't pass yesterday. I don't think it's dead. And it's something that I think we're going to be talking about uh, uh, until the next meeting in January uh, of the board, the next yeah, the next future meeting uh, of of the board as it goes forward, as they continue to push for this constitutional amendment to turn the uh, permanent fund into some kind of sovereign wealth fund or whatever, um, which again. Uh, just a huge mistake. Again, making us more dependent at every level on government. This is the other theme, and this is the theme that I've been warning about for 20 years in this state, that we are doing nothing but creating a dependency class in Alaska, and we continue to do so. I mean, one of the things that continues to stick out, and this has been true since Walker has been in office, but we currently have one-third of Alaskans on medical welfare on Medicaid that I mean one third of the state 270,000 people 
are on a government assistance uh, in that regard. Uh, and and that's a mind-blowing number at this point. Again, consumers versus producers, this is what you got. And Michael, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in my two cents on this. We've got one-fifth of Alaskans, the top 20%, who aren't paying for it. I mean, so you want to talk about dependence, government dependency, or or a dependent economy, or a or a, a subsidized economy. That's also part of the subsidized. It's true. I uh, mean, economy. you know, and and I know, you know, we, oh, the successful Alaskans. Why should you pick on successful Alaskans? Well, when they're <laughs> when they're continuing their successful run on the backs of lower and middle income people. That's a problem. I'm not against being successful. I'm not exact. I'm not against the free market and the idea of making it and and uh, and doing well for yourself. But you can't throw the little people under the bus at the same time and say, "I want all this stuff, but we're going to let the little people pay for it uh, throughout the time." By the way, my business is based on a lot of that stuff, and we're going to have the little people pay for it. That's, I mean, that's where robber barons came from, right? I mean, that's oh, the whole idea. I mean, that's exactly what that's all about. Oh, exactly right. And Michael, this this myth that I'm trying to push costs off on the on the top 20%, I'm not. If the top 20% had to pay, they would push back on the costs. The problem here is the Natasha von Imhoffs and others who say, oh, don't, you know, don't tax me to take it out of the PFD tax, middle and lower income Alaska families and continue to spend. If she had to pay, if Bert had to pay, if Click had to pay, if Giesel had to pay, they would be pushing back on spending. But right now, because they don't, because we're using PFD cuts as the mechanism, the successful Alaskans don't care about, and, and, about spending. And That's the problem. And why would they be pushing back? Because their constituency, their donor class would also be pushing back on, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm getting eaten alive here. You got to stop and slow down with this spending. But because it comes from this empty bucket that nobody ever sees, that's where we end up at. All right, Brad Keithley, our guest. We're going to jump into it. Here we go. The weekly top three. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my brain is going to explode in hour two. All right, here we go. Jumping back into it. Let's uh, let's do this thing. All right, uh, we're back. Brad Keithley, our guest, the weekly top three. Some good news and some bad news on education. Although I've got thoughts on this as well. Brad, uh, hit me, hit me with the, hit me with the thoughts here. Here we go. This is just this. This whole segment is just an entire setup for your second oh, it's hour. Oh, the second I mean, hour. Hour two is going to be on fire. I guarantee it. Right at this point. <laughs> All right. So there's an article in the Juno Empire. Um, uh, this week that says the headline is school district gets 2.8 million of bad news due to low enrollment uh, and audit, but also 2.3 million dollars of good news. Well, the bad news is that uh, that enrollment in uh, in the Juno school district is down. Guess where it's going? It's going to homeschooling. Uh, but uh, but 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 enrollment's down, and so Juno's share of uh, of state funds is going to go down as a result of enrollment being down. Here's the and, and and that's you know that's bad news for Juno. Not not that I care a lot about Juno, but there, it's it's bad news. It's bad news for Juno. But here's the here's the good news that I think is 
is something that we need to recognize. Earlier, in an earlier segment a few weeks ago, I talked about a, an effort by the state, started with Juneau, but then expanding to other school districts, to disallow uh, expenditures that were being made sort of on the side uh, by, the, by the school district and booster clubs and others to help support various activities um, at, the, at, the, at the schools, disallowing, disallowing those um, and, and essentially saying, look, you can't, you can't spend those funds. The reason the state was saying that, as they explained it at the time, was it was causing some school districts to be more than, what is it, 20%, 25%, uh, spend more than 20 or 25% higher than other school districts. And that put uh, federal uh, uh, rural assistant education funds uh, at risk. The, federal, the feds have a rule that one district can't be more than X percent 20 or 25 percent out of uh, disproportionately higher than than other school districts, um, and if they if they are, then the federal rural education existence uh, or assistance uh, uh, is terminated. And so the state was pressing back on Juno, saying, "Look, these side funds that you're spending uh, are causing us to go in violation of the REA rule and putting at risk the federal funds that we're getting uh, from REA." There, there were two ways to handle that. One was, um, and, and so Juno was, Juno was, you know, complaining about having to cut back on those side funds. The, the, the point I made at the time was that was going to increase pressure on, on for K through 12 funding, because the one way to handle that is to increase funding to the lower school districts uh, and reduce the disproportion between the lower school districts and the and and Juno. Um, and so I was concerned that what this was, that what the Dunleavy administration's effort was going to do was increase the pressure for K through 12 spending. Well, in this article, down toward the bottom, there's a report that the Dunleavy administration has pulled back on pushing Juno and presumably the other school districts right. uh, on that rule. They're no longer going to disallow the funds that Juno's spending uh, on these these side these sideways uh, side approaches be, be, uh, and reduce it because Juno because one of the exemptions from the federal rule is non student uh, not education costs like transportation and that's what they were saying is that millions of these dollars were going into things like buses and transportation and stuff like that and they said wait that's exempt and the state has agreed oh yeah I guess we were wrong those were exempt. I, I don't. I, I, the article is not clear, and I've not had time to dig into it on exactly what's going on. I mean, the state was saying that the feds who make the rule and enforce the rule, it was the feds who were saying those side funds were violating the rule. And it could be that the state misinterpreted the feds. It could be that the state uh, uh, uh has pushed back on the feds and the feds are now saying that those side funds don't go, don't count. It also could be that the state has said, we're not going to worry about REA funds. Alaska is not the only state that, that theoretically could qualify for REA funds and other states when faced with this rule and the consequences of this rule have said, we just won't take the REA funds. Um, so it could be that, that Alaska is saying, we just won't take the REA funds and, and we won't worry about this anymore. I, I, it's not clear from the article what's going on, and, and the Dunleavy administration has not been particularly clear on its website or elsewhere about what it's do, why it's doing what it's doing. But for, for whatever reason, it's pulling back on pushing uh, this issue with, uh, with Juno and, and, and counting these side funds or, or treating these side funds as a, as a problem. 
the administration is pulling back on that. The consequence of that is, is the pressure that that added on K through 12 funding to deal with this issue through increased K through 12 funding, that that pressure is going away. Uh, and that's a good thing because, because it means that at least that argument, we're going to have other arguments, but at least that part of the argument for increased K through 12 uh, is sort of, is sort of evaporating in the night. Well, and uh, of course, that's good news, bad news, right? So the bad news is lower enrollment, which is not just a Juno problem, by the way. I'll point out that they're still, they're just finishing up the counting period right now uh, for the state, right? And it's already been uh, pre pre predicted that there's going to be a, almost a record low enrollment across the state in the various districts. So everybody's going to be facing that. So that's the bad news. You're going to lose a bunch of money there based on student count. The good news is here they get some of it back on the other side. But again, that's not what they're talking about is not necessarily dollars in the classroom, not that they're mandated to spend dollars in the classroom, but it's not education dollars as more as it is infrastructure dollars. Right, right. It's, it's, it's what was going for, as you said, it was going to help support uh, various activities outside the classroom, the dollars that were going to help support various activities outside the classroom. Um, but it's, it's, um, I, I, it's welcome news. I mean, K through 12 is going to be a battle this time. It was a battle last year. It's going to be a battle this year. Uh, there are a lot of arguments uh, that are going to be made for it. But this, at least, at least this one is, is seem, seems on track to evaporate and not become a big part of the debate. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, it looks like, and it wasn't just Juno that received a letter. There were many other districts that after right. Juno was the first, right, but many other right. districts. Uh, and the article alludes to the fact that it looks like they may be pulling back, not just from Juno, but from other districts as well. Right. And and Juno was, Juno was sort of the canary in the coal mine, right? It was the first one that received the letter, the first one that was making the issue, and now it's the first one that's sort of indicating that that, that the issue is receding. Right. As I say, good news, not it's not gonna it's not gonna blow away the K through twelve argument, but at least it blows away one piece of the K through twelve argument. All right, Brad, uh three minutes here. Final thoughts on all the weekly top three today. Any final <laughs> thoughts on number three? Uh what uh, what 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 say you in this regard? Well, I just the the, the subsidy the subsidy argument, both uh, both that we discussed in the second segment. Uh, and the subsidy argument that we discussed in the first segment, the the uh, the, the subsidy of, of South Central uh, energy uh, consumers uh, by the state, uh, by the state's actions, the state's intervening in the market. Those are just troublesome. I mean, do we believe in markets or don't we? If we do believe in markets, we ought to let markets function. If we don't believe in markets, uh, then okay, but you know that that creates all sorts of of inefficiencies out there. It creates all sorts of of subsidies and creates all sorts of costs. In the case of the Cook Inlet, it's a cost that will be spread uh, by uh, spread throughout uh, throughout the state. Essentially, the state, essentially what the Dunleavy administration is proposing is that the state subsidize uh, uh, South Central. It was telling. That in the that in the legislature, the Alaska House Majority's letter, it was three South Central legislators that were quoted: uh, George Rauscher, uh, Tom McKay, and uh, and Ben Carpenter that were quoted as saying, "Yeah, we're, we're going to give this deep consideration." Well, hell yeah, they're subsidizing your ratepayers. I guess so. But but let's let's look at the overall let's look at the overall consequence of 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 what's going on. And the same thing's true of Medicaid. I we. we we need to keep in mind that markets work, but for markets to work, we have to let them work. 
and we have to let uh, 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 the state, we have to keep the state out of it and allow the market to go forward. And, and I just, it's frustrating to see, you know, it's frustrating enough to deal with that when Democrats argument argue that we need to intervene in the market. It's hugely frustrating to see Republicans now start to argue that we need to inter intervene in the market. And they'll say, oh, it's just this one, just this market. But it's but it's intervention in the market, and that then you know just triggers off all sorts of inefficiencies and all sorts of cross subsidies. We need to we need to let markets work. Yeah. Well, again, the major problem with this in the state of Alaska is the fact that the public and the private economies are divorced from each other, and they don't want to let the market work because they don't care about the market. They believe that the government knows best, and as long as the government economy is doing fine, everything's fine, 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 just fine. You know, the room's on fire, but this is fine. And that's where we're at right now. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thank you so much for coming on board today. Michael, as always, uh, thanks for ha having me. Hour two is dead ahead. Buckle up, buttercup. It's going to be a wild ride. We're back with more after this. I mean, that's that's really the case here, Brad, right? I mean, the, the, it doesn't matter if you're a D or an R in this state. Um, and I, I read through all the statements that the House majority put out. And, uh, I mean, Ben Carpenter, who I'm a, I'm, a ham, I'm a huge fan of Ben Carpenter. At least he said, I said, I'm looking forward to discussing this proposal in the months ahead. I don't take that as an implicit endorsement necessarily. But, um, I mean, I, I think it's going to be interesting. But, again, this all leaks back. This all trickles down from the fact that Alaskans, the Alaska economy is busted. It's not intertwined like every other state. Every other state, the public and the private economy are inexorably intertwined, and they they have to work together. And in Alaska, it just does. It just don't matter. It just don't matter. The state's going to do what the state's going to do as long as the state has control. It doesn't matter what happens in the private economy because they don't care. And, uh, you know, unless, of course, maybe it affects their donor class. Anchorage is the largest, of course, community in the state. And if they don't subsidize those guys, those folks might get mad if their energy cost goes up. Try living in Fairbanks for a while to see how your your heating your heating and your energy costs go up uh, every, every month, every year. I can't even, to do the calculation on how much I've saved by moving to the South Central area, you have no idea. I mean, I still pay. I think I, I think I probably pay 20, 20 maybe twenty five percent on an annual basis for heating of what I paid in Fairbanks right now. Um, just think about that for a minute. I mean, the 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 amazing savings just in that area alone. But we wouldn't want Anchorage or South Central to pay any more because. That's the donor class, and we don't want to, you know, that's the big chunk of people, and we don't want to mess with them in that regard. But again, it's that disconnect. Am I am I wrong? No, no, you're exactly you're exactly right, Michael. I mean, you're exactly right. Everybody, <laughs> I mean, part of the problem, we, we've disrupted markets so much in this state that we don't really understand when we're doing it anymore. I mean, we, we've allowed the government to become such a big player uh, in, in, in what goes on in this state that, that it's just, I mean, the, the, the first reaction, Dunleavy's first reaction is, oh, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just give away royalty. We'll just take away royalty. They've already taken away tax in Cook Inlet. That was, that was gone in the two thousands, uh, at some point tax got, got eliminated. Now it's, now it's, we're going to take away royalty. Now we're going to zero out, out royalty. It, it, you don't even think, I mean, 
it, it, government is so intertwined with the with with how things operate in this state that it's the reaction is always well we'll do something government will do something we'll we'll give away another subsidy we'll create another freebie um, uh, so that uh, so that that disruption doesn't doesn't occur and it's just I, at at some point at some point you want it to stop but to get it to stop you got to point out when it's happening and and I I'm I would doubt that George Rauscher understands what he's understands that he's arguing for a subsidy. I would I would bet he would say he's not doing that. But that's exactly what he's doing. And 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 to get this stuff to stop, to get back to a market economy, to create a market economy in Alaska, you've got to point out when this stuff's going on. And this is this is as clear an example as any of the other examples. It's as clear an, an example as Donna Mears's we need more money. We need we need all that federal money to support the state because otherwise we'll go into a recession. This is the Republican equivalent of Donna Meir saying we need to re, we need to reduce royalty or else the you know Anchorage will have to pay more for energy. Oh, that's horrible. I mean, oh, it's just and the state can do something about it. My gosh, you know we can we can give away more money. So let us give away more money. How shocking. We have to be seen doing something about this. We've got to do something, you know. And it's always and it's always going backwards. Yeah. It's always it's always yes, we'll give you more money. You know, in yeah. Parnell's in Parnell's day is yes, we'll give you state savings. Here. Take take money. Take take state money. Don't don't negotiate a higher price for the Cook Inlet that, that would incentivize production here. Just take state money to to keep your margins where they otherwise would be. Oh my God, this explains a lot. I'm going to post this comment just because I think it explains everything at this point. Here's Harold's comment. This is why uh, we offer, this is why we don't offer private sector services and only focus on government spending. Got to pay the, he's, what he's saying is his business does not provide private sector services. He only, he, he's focused on the government spend too. That explains a lot at this point that just that explains all hell of a lot at this point well, go ahead and, and and docs i mean to pick up on donna mears's yeah i mean this is the same thing docs oh my god don't cut medicaid i yeah. mean my god what would we do without without medicaid revenues we'd have to you know actually go out and get services in the in the private sector we'd have to you know deal with costs in the in the private sector yeah, uh, lower our costs. Well, there. I mean, don't, again, don't cut Medicaid. Docs, telecom, construction, road crews, herald services, all of those businesses that are predicated exclusively on government spending. Big shocker uh, that they're upset when uh, with that. Kind of, I mean, you know, we are creating a dependency economy, period. And <laughs> and we're reaping we're reaping those rewards right now. That's what's happening. Right, Brad? Creating, I, we've created. Well, we've created. Yes, you're right. 100. We're add, We're adding to it. I stand corrected. You are 100. We have created, and we are continuing to foster a dependency economy in this state. That's that's that, what's happening. And, right. and that's what this royalty proposal is. That's what the Dunleavy uh, royalty proposal is. Is is to continue to foster this dependency economy by having the state subsidize South Central energy costs. By reducing by reducing the supply side costs, it's just yeah. just continuing 
Ben uh, talked himself into it, taxing Alaskans. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thank you so much for coming on board today and uh, joining us. We appreciate that. Michael, as always, thanks for having me and have a great second hour. Oh, man, get ready for it, folks. In fact, I'm going to have to restart the broadcast, not restart, but I'm going to have to reload my side. So you're going to see a blue screen for a minute, folks. Here we go. Thank you, Brad. Uh, We're going to jump into it. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to Hour 2 of the Big Radio Show. For Tuesday, we just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, Brad uh, was kind enough to come on board and give us the weekly top three. And boy, I tell you, there's a lot to unpack here. And I'm going to spend the next hour doing just that. Uh, I should go ahead, I guess, and open up the phone lines as well to allow you to uh, have your, you know, to for you to vent your spleen in this regard. Because I am just, oh, I'm just, I'm just so hacked off about some of the things that are going on out there. Uh, you have, you have no idea. Uh, how agitated I am about uh, many of these things. And so I'm going to talk about that now. Unfortunately, I guess for you, uh, unfortunately for you, um, there is no Chris story to uh, help alleviate those pains at the end of the uh, at the end of the show today. Uh, Chris is not going to be joining us today. Unfortunately, we will be talking with him uh, in uh, on Thursday. We'll, uh, he and I will hang out and we'll talk about a bunch of stuff and uh, we're going to go through all that and and uh, we'll, we'll get that weekly balm that we need from Chris Story in hour two. Uh, so we look forward to we look forward to uh, seeing him and talking with him and doing all that stuff. So in the meanwhile, <clears throat> we're going to uh, we're going to continue here. I am opening up the phone lines so that if you do want to sound off. Uh, during this hour, you are uh, you're happy you're, you know you're able to do so. Uh, so the number to call is 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. 
is the phone number, and you can call in and uh, be ready to sound off on whatever it is that you want to sound off about. Uh, and, of course, those uh, phone lines powered by our friends over there at Satellite West uh, for the best in communications across the state of Alaska. Satellite West is the place to be. Go to sat- SatelliteWest.com, find out all their local dealers, um, whether it's a satellite telephone or a bivy stick or the brand new Motorola product, which is an amazing piece of kit as well. Uh, you could find about all about uh, those things at SatelliteWest.com. So thank them for sponsoring the program today. Okay, so phone lines, phone lines are, uh, phone lines are open, and we're and we're ready to go. Um, so first and foremost, Brad's, all of Brad's weekly top three have had a couple of themes, uh, over the last, oh, I don't know, uh, over the last, uh, really over the last few years. And the theme always seems to be basically the fact that many people are continuing to ignore the who pays question, who pays for this. Um, the second theme is is that we have not only created a dependency state uh, in the state of Alaska, uh, where we have become dependent on government largesse for just about everything, we have continued to foster that at every turn. That at every, I mean, every turn of the screw, we have given into that, we have embraced it. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, you got, uh, again, Harold bragging in the chat room that, hey, I got $6,000 bills and the only way to get that is, you know, can't do that invoicing private companies. I can only do that, basically, I guess the implication there is by gouging the government uh, to get it because private sector doesn't pay like the government does. And that's the, unfortunately, that's the attitude of many small businesses out there and and larger businesses who have become dependent on this. So we've created and fostered a dependency state, not just on the traditional, what conservatives would think of as the traditional dependency state, you know, where we create and and have a social safety net of, uh, you know, health care and housing and, and food, I mean, all those kind of things, but also on the other side, the crony capitalism side, where companies have built entire business plans based around nothing but public sector spending, government spending. That's the whole, I mean, that's that's what they built their whole business. So we've got a dependency on both the left and the right side of the political spectrum that's going on. And nobody, no, nobody says nothing about it. I mean, I guess except me. Nobody says anything about it, the, the dangers of this right now. And now on top of this, we've got the discussion that somehow we have inexorably been, you know, driven a line of division or separation between the public economy and the private economy here in the state of Alaska that exists nowhere else in the United States. Nowhere else are they completely divorced from the income of what's happening and the, and the things that are being generated and the, and the revenues that are being generated in the, in the private economy to help fund government because they got their own source of lucre. And they continue to draw off of it. And as long as that's there, they're happy to do it. So we've got these three things that basically these are three thematic things that run through every news story, every weekly top three segment that Brad and I have done for the last, well, we've been doing this for 10 years now. 
10 years, he and I have been talking about the weekly top three, and it seems like it could be a record on repeat. We probably could go back uh, to the 10-year-ago mark and and go back to our first weekly top three and have exactly some of the same problems, but each one at its core would have those three things wrong with it. Those three things would be the, the, the base lesson to learn out of all this is that, one, nobody's asking who pays. Two, nobody's, uh, you know, you've got a, a, a dependency state that is both for the left and the right. And three, the complete separation and line in the sand between the public and the private economy. This is a consistent problem. Again, I've been squawking about the dependency state for years in this, you know, on this program. And again, maybe I'm just shouting into the wind and nothing, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You're just griping. But we're seeing more and more of this happen. Now, I'm going to go back and I, and I want to dissect a couple of things out of this, the, uh, the, the, the weekly top three. I guess this is my dissection of Brad's top three items. Um, we're going to start with his number one, which, of course, was the governor's plan to basically intervene in the free market and to incentivize cook uh, incentivize cook inlet gas by allowing reduced or eliminated royalties uh, for those specific fines and in uh, those specific fields. And what does it mean? Because, because he's a, Brad is 100% right on this. When we basically take a specific field that is feeding a specific locale, and in this case, South Central, which is the largest between Anchorage with 270,000 people and the Matsu with another whatever it is, 115, 120,000 people in it. Well, you've got the lion's share of the state, right? You have over probably, I imagine between the two, we're talking about over probably 60% of the overall population of the state resides in the Matsu and in the city of Anchorage, the municipality of Anchorage. So you've got the largest share of constituencies in that area. And, you know, we've got a bit of a crisis going on. This, this this gas shortage is a real thing, um, you know, and what's happening is we've got this hesitancy by the local utilities to pass the real cost of what it takes to heat or create electricity or do all those things to get the resources to create the utilities, whether it's heat or power. And we have a res- we have a hesitancy from these companies to pass on the true costs to their cons- to their uh, customers. They're worried about it. Now, again, I will point out that what I have paid over the last ten years uh, that my average heating bill here in the Matsu, and this is what I tell people when they say, "Oh, I can't believe you moved down south." My average heating bill is about twenty, maybe maybe twenty five percent. 20 to 25% of what it was that I paid on an annual basis in Fairbanks. And that is after I did all the five-star improvements that I could do to my 40-year-old home, 
you know, blew insulation in the roof and new windows and did all the things and weather seals and doors and did everything that I could do to make it hurt. I was still paying four to five times a month in the dead of winter of what I'm paying. Now, granted, it's colder there. There's a lot. Of, but I was working on heating. Again, 20 percent. 20 to 25 percent of what I'm paying right there. So I would think that people in Fairbanks who are still shouldering that cost right now that I've that I've avoided by moving out, they would be a little pissed off about the fact that the government seems to be hell-bent for election on protecting the pocketbooks of people in the Anchorage municipality and the Matsu, in the South Central area as a whole. That they're talking about dropping the royalties, they've dropped the tax payments, they're doing everything else to try and incentive. If there is gas there, and if there is demand, and if the price is at a fair market value and not some kind of artificially induced level, then somebody will build something, somebody will go out there and drill, and if not, we'll be able to import. Now, does in do I feel like, you know... <laughs> Do, do I do I feel like um, that uh, uh, I, I would love to see the fact that Alaska would have to, with 17 trillion cubic feet of gas on the North Slope, do I feel like it really, you know, is a good feeling to have to import gas to South Central because we can't figure out how to make it economically feasible to get that gas from the North Slope down to the South Central area? I mean, I feel bad about it, but that's also the real the reality of economics. But the fact that you've got Republicans who are ostensibly free market, less governmental intervention, all these all these things that we could list off on the platform kind of people, supposedly. Now turning around and saying, we will incentivize you. We will allow you to take our finite natural resource without any, you know, without any royalty payment or anything else. Just get it to us and it'll be fine. The loss of that revenue, of course, has to be made up somewhere else. And in this case, they're making up the loss of that revenue on PFD cuts and other things. Which means, again... That the ones that are feeling the most impacted by that are the lower or median income folks in the state of Alaska. Because as a proportion of their income, those PFD cuts hit harder than anything else that the state could possibly do. So you've got Republicans who are out there saying no taxes for at any level, none of this stuff. We will do everything we can to avoid it, including carving into the lower and middle class like there's no tomorrow and there's not a single thing you can do about it. And at least we can be seen as they straighten their ties. We can be seen to be doing something. It's, it's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane that this is where we're at right now. So that, I mean, that's number one. The fact that, again, we've got Republicans who are even considering getting more in and in interfering more in the free market than ever before. So we'll, we'll continue, we'll continue to talk about that um, uh, as well. But number two on the weekly top three was this discussion by Donna Mears, which is a prime example of the problem specifically with the idea that uh, we are creating a dependency state. 
And I'm going to I'm going to dive down into that. Now, the phone lines are open. If you want to interrupt me, you could feel free to do so. Uh, 907-433-3150. We're going to continue here in just a moment. And we'll be back. Don't go anywhere. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio, The Michael Duke Show. Back with more right after this. Suppository. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, we're in the break uh, right now. Um, okay, Golden Valley is trying to shift costs to Anchorage by shuttering Healy 2 uh, because it uses coal. This is Dick's comment in the chat room right now. Yeah, I mean, again, I've never understood the fact that we have become more and more dependent on all this other stuff just because we're going to eliminate <laughs> eliminate coal. Um, it's cheaper for me, says Bill, it's cheaper for me to bring home rolled diesel five gallons at a time than having fuel oil delivered. Does that sound regulate? Why would you bring home road diesel? Um, you pay more for that than if you just went and got heating fuel pumped into a drum or something. Because I've been there, Bill. There were times in Fairbanks when I was, uh, you know, we were having a hard time or whatever that I was buying, you know, heating oil 15 gallons at a time in a 15-gallon drum. I'd go down to to the local bulk plant and I'd get 15 gallons of fuel. You know, I have to do that every two, three days just until we got, you know, till I got paid next or I got my next big thing. I mean, it's happened over the years. We've had to do that. I've been there with you. Uh um, um, Gail says, I understand it's for plain fare, but why is the state paying for this? What do you mean by that? Gail, what he's saying is he went to some village dedication with all his family, cost him 6,000 bucks, and the private sector isn't paying for that. He's billing the, the state government for his services in his business, and that's what's paying for his thing. That's what he's talking about. He's basically his business is government. He's working, doing all of his his consultancy with the government. Okay, great. But it explains a lot. Again, when you say something, when you say something like, uh, I don't offer my services to the private sector. I only offer it to the government spending because they're the ones with the money. Which again says a lot about the mindset that we're talking about here. Uh, that's I mean, it's all I was saying. Good for him. Good for him. But again, dependency state. We are there right now. Um, Bill says I paid five forty a gallon for heating oil. Diesel is four ninety. Wow, that's with the road taxes. Because usually the usually the diesel was more expensive than the heating oil because of road taxes and everything else. But hey, hey, Bill, whatever whatever works for you, my friend. That is, uh, that's, you know, what it is. Cindy says she's happy that the littles get to trick-or-treat with no snow on the ground. This is the second time in 10 years this has happened for us. Halloween, no snow. Thank you. Thank you all for doing the anti-snow dance with me for the last few weeks. 
If it snows tomorrow, I guess I, I'm okay with that. Although I'd love to have a winter like that first winter that we had down here, 2013, 2014, when it was just no snow hardly at all. We got some snow for Thanksgiving. Then it it melted away again. Then we got some snow mid-December and had a white Christmas. And then it melted again in January. Then we got a heavy snow in March. I mean, I, I'd be okay with that. I'm okay with that, one way or the other. That just that doesn't hurt my feelings at all. That's almost as good as a nice warm summer. That's for me, personally. Okay. Um, I'm just going back up here to see. Uh, Chris Byers, you got me hooked on North Pole coffee. I'll tell you, when I can't get a cup of beard curler, ain't nothing better than a cup of St. Nickerdoodle. Absolutely. St. Nickerdoodle Coffee mm, from North Pole Coffee Roasters. That's a good cup of joe right there. Delicious. You can get it at Costco, I think. That's where I've been buying mine, big two-pound bags. So when I'm out of beard curler, I can't get it or, you know, whatever, that's my go-to is that North Pole Coffee Roasters company. That stuff is delicious. Okay. Um uh, Come to Fairbanks, we have snow. I was in Fairbanks two weeks ago, and there was plenty of snow for me. I was like, yep, I'm done with that. Thank you. Uh, all right. Um, we're getting ready to jump back into it. Let's uh, let's go. We're going to dissect this article from uh, What's-Her-Face, Donna Mears. Um, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that here. Uh, where is my uh, – where is it right here? There we go. There's the article. I'm posting it up in the chat room. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. Jeannie in the chat room just said something interesting, uh, and I'm going to explain why uh, there's a difference here. Uh, This just came up. We were talking during the break about some of the different things. Jeannie uh, in the chat room says, I tend to use the lower 48 vernacular welfare state. Let me tell you why I don't use... um, Let me tell you why I don't use the term welfare state. Instead, I use the term dependency state. Because when you say welfare state, I mean, obviously, there's negative connotations to both phrases. But the I think the big thing is, is that when you say welfare state, people immediately gravitate towards the idea that you're talking exclusively about the social safety net component of welfare, right? Free medical, free housing, free food. You know, all that kind of stuff. That's what they're thinking of. But in the state of Alaska, we are a well, sure, we're a welfare state, but we've created a dependency state for both the left and the right. What I was talking about earlier, we have a tremendous amount on the social safety net, welfare people who've become dependent on that. But we also have all these people on the right in corporations and companies and businesses that have built their whole business model around sucking off the teat of the government. Right. And so that's why I use the term dependency state instead of 
welfare state because it doesn't just single out the social safety side of that. That's 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 what I'm that's why I, that's why I say that uh, to begin with. Now, I want to get into this article. This is number two of Brad's weekly top three, which is the article by Donna Mears. It's an opinion piece um, that talks about the headline reads Medicaid's Medicaid cuts threaten the broader economy. And I'm going to dissect this piece a little bit. She's specifically talking about Medicaid in this case, but it, it gives you a deep insight into the mind of many of these people who are in government on both the left and the right. She happens to be progressive, but this is a problem on both the left and the right at this point in our state government. And I'm going to dive down into that. I want to get I want to get into the details of that. But I do have a phone call. So first things first, I guess we'll take a phone call and see what you have to say before we get started. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. This is Carlene in Kodiak, and your topic is near and dear to my heart, and I long for you to get into the Donna Mears topic. Um, in Kodiak, um, the governor and our senator from here about a year ago have given tax credits to the canneries, and my friend said that um, the canneries, they aren't even Alaskan people. And then um, that goes along with your Republicans interfering in the public market. And then the second thing is enrollment in the school system is down 10% as far as I know, if it hasn't gone down for, further in Kodiak schools, but they still have a shortfall of $2.1 million. And then something that has been near and dear to me is borrowing money from China and Japan and all these other countries and the printing more money. And our Native Association, the Medical, Dental, Counseling, Social Workers, um, has a surplus of 7 to $8 million a year. And I thought it was Health and Human Services from the state of Alaska for Medicaid, but it's uh, apparently mixed, probably a big portion of Indian health money. So um, I have would like to talk about the bycatch, but today is not the day to do that. Thank you, Michael. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Carolina. I, I agree. I would like to talk about the bycatch as well, but uh, that is kind of a whole show in and of itself. Uh, but you're right. Um, you know, it is the government interfering in the market in many ways. I mean, uh, you know, canneries in Kodiak, do they, they're going to operate canneries around the country. Are they going to operate? Do they require uh, governmental interference in the forms of subsidies and other things to keep them open? Or is it just a way to pacify and make these people happy? I, you know, again, the government picking winners and losers is a big problem. And that's what governments have been doing for a long time. And ever since, you know, when John J. Hill first started the whole thing with the railroads and everything else. And and uh, that was really the birth in the United States anyway of some crony capitalism. And and it's just gotten it's just gotten worse from there. Um, all right. We're going to go over to this article. And again, written by Donna Mears, who is uh, represents the District 21 in Anchorage. She's a representative in the Alaska House. The title of the article is Medicaid Cuts Threaten the Broader Economy. She starts out by talking about <clears throat> what happened during the pandemic. Now, what happened during the pandemic, uh, this was a governmental knee-jerk response to everything, is that the federal government 
decided during the early months of the pandemic that um, because people were out of work, they'd closed down the economy and everything else, they took emergency action to change some of the rules of the Medicaid program. Basically, what they did was they stopped the eligibility checks, meaning are you eligible for Medicaid? And that was normally done um, uh, I think it was, was it quarterly? Anyway, it was done quite frequently that they would check to see, are you still eligible for this free government health care? During the pandemic, they shot that down. They, they shut that part of it down and said, if you are enrolled now, you're enrolled until we turn this emergency order off. Now, of course, we know that that emergency existed for what well, we're going on three and a half years now. And they made a decision to go ahead and, uh, and, and to stop that eligibility, which not only swelled the roles because more and more people became eligible throughout that time, but again, created even more dependency than what we had to begin with. Now she's lamenting the fact that that pandemic program is winding down. She goes on to say tens of thousands of Alaskans have lost Medicaid health insurance as the Department of Health has struggled to adjust to a new federal program requirement. It's not a new federal program requirements, Donna. It's the old requirements that were hiatus due to an emergency. I love how they just they love to spin this language like it's some kind of new program. No, it's just going back to the old rules as they were that had been suspended because of the pandemic. Then she goes on to talk about losing medical coverage can be devastating for the individual. These disenrollments will also hurt the broader Alaska economy. Again, talking about how it's imperative that we keep government spending up because it protects the economy. We could be plunged into a recession, she goes on to talk about. Beginning last year, the pandemic health emergency authorities expired, and now all 50 states must confirm everyone's eligibility basically by having everyone reapply, which, again, doesn't seem like something that's unreasonable. I'm not against having a social safety net. I mean, I'll be the first to say that I'm not against that uh, necessarily. What I'm against is creating a social safety net that garners up, gobbles up huge huge swathes of the population and allows them to basically become dependent on government spend for their life, their livelihood, their health, whatever else. So she goes on to talk about the uh, the struggle that the Department of Health and Social Services and the Division of Public Assistance is going through. She said Alaska started its eligibility redetermination process in April, checking every beneficiary in the state, which is about 260, almost 270,000 Alaskans. I want you to I, I want you to just sit back for a second, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, put your cup of coffee down, do whatever. And I want you to think about that for just a second. We live in a state with 700 and change, 715, 720,000 people in it. And we have 260,000 of them on a government program for health care. As of September 30th, the Division of Public Assistance has finished processing 45,000 beneficiaries of the 260,000. 
thousand, of whom sixty percent have lost their coverage. These are mostly people. Well, God, I would hope so. Uh, many of them with kids who meet the eligibility, but they're losing their health insurance anyway, mostly because the state couldn't reach them or get them to produce ne- necessary documents. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have to do a little work there? Did you have to provide some documentation to prove that you need to get this free money? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have to be a little proactive and reach out to the program yourself? Or are you waiting for the state to knock on your door and give you the free wads full of cash for all, everything you need? I'm sorry. Is that, is that so, I'm sorry. Was that so hard? I'm sorry. They're losing their health insurance anyway, mostly because the state couldn't reach them or get them to produce necessary documents. Many states are having difficulty with these redeterminations, but Alaska is amongst the worst. 44th of 50 states. Well, we should be used to that. We're in the lowest rankings for just about everything in the country right now. I mean, economy, jobs, uh, education, you know, welfare re-enrollment. Okay, I mean, it's just par for the course. Just mark that one up right there. The feds recently asked the Department of Health to pause some disenrollments, and they have, but the share of people contacted who are found eligible remains low. So even though the feds has asked them to stop disenrollment, which, again, the emergency order is done, how can you, how can you do that? How can you say, no, no, keep them enrolled. They don't, they don't, they don't qualify, but keep them enrolled. I, how is that even legal? I mean, they do have to follow the law, but... Uh, But the share of people who contacted who are found eligible remains low. Just 32%. Let's just bump that up to 40. So 270,000 people in Alaska on the dole, medical dole in this case, and yet only 40% are truly eligible. But we're okay with that. If this pace continues, nearly 150,000 Alaskans could lose coverage as redetermination progresses. Great. Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? I mean, welfare is not supposed to be a lifelong thing. Medicaid is not supposed to be a lifelong thing. It's supposed to be something that helps you out in a period of need, and then you're supposed to grab yourself up by your bootstraps and jump forward and make a difference. Shouldn't we be celebrating the fact that 150,000 of the 270,000 who are enrolled will be off of coverage? Shouldn't that be a great? No. No. We want you right there. Just being right there on the teat. Oh, no. We want you. We want to take cradle to grave, baby. Government will take care of you. She goes on to say that losing 150,000, that could be catastrophic. Catastrophic. Oh, by the way, healthcare accessibility, uh, uh, healthcare accessibility would also be affected as many providers count on revenue from Medicaid patients to keep their doors open. Well, that sounds like a personal problem to me. If you're building your whole business around government largesse and government spend and suddenly that spend stops, that sounds like piss poor planning on your part. What you're basically saying is, oh, we need to spend this money to keep these people open. I I don't see any money being funneled at my business 
or my radio stations or anything else or or you know Joe down the street or 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 Jeff down the street who fixes my car I don't see any dollars from the state government going to his business to keep his doors open specifically Oh I'm sorry Oh I I'm I'm sorry that you didn't plan properly. I'm sorry that you built your whole business model on something that is amorphous or doesn't respond to market trends. Well, I'm sorry about that. Sucks to be you. But we'll have less doctors. That's what the free market brings, folks. It's got its ups and its downs. And the problem is, is that when government intervenes, they screw it all up. Oh. I'm going to lose my mind here in a second. Uh, I haven't even gotten to the good part yet. I haven't even gotten to the best part yet. We're going to be back. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Comic Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Going to try and finish up on number two and get to number three in just a moment. Back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, um... True. How dare you? How dare the state only give Medicaid to people who are eligible for Medicaid? The audacity! (laughs) I mean, it's the audacity that we would just... (laughs) I mean, this is just amazing. You know? Um... Uh, man. Uh, going back through here. Some of us have to buy insurance on the marketplace to keep from being forced into a community spouse. I'm, assu- I'm assuming a community space is what you're saying there. I don't if that's autocorrect or not. Yeah, some of us are just making it out on the marketplace because that's the only thing we have available to us at this point. Um, Mike says, get real. Being on welfare is now being passed on from one generation to the next by many. It's true. Generational welfare. I mean, again, welfare. I'm not against a social safety net. But when it becomes generational, that's a problem. Again, we should be celebrating the fact that half the people who are on the Medicaid rolls are no longer eligible. Because that means that they've pulled themselves up out of their situations. When I asked when I was talking about how the government is not spending money, you know, to bolster up or prop up my business or my buddy's business down the road or your business, Mike says, nope, I have a small business as well. Not only do they not give me money, they put their hand out every year in taxes for money from me. Yes, they do. Um, 
Wait, counterpoint, says Brian. The free market has also brought lots of innovation and an improvement in the quality and outcomes of medical care. This is part of the problem. I mean, the stymieing of this kind of stuff. Remember, there was a component in Obamacare that had a almost a 3% excise task, tax on medical equipment. You remember that? That was in the initial version of Obamacare. It's since been repealed. But what they said was, this is going to stifle innovation on creating new equipment and doing everything else because of the costs involved. And if it's a high paying and what did it, it, it happened, they eventually had to repeal it. I mean, that, that that's that's exactly it. Government stifling innovation. Um, I had a biopsy that would have netted the hospital $6,000, but when my insurance refused to pay, my tab went to twenty k. I'm still paying for it. You know, here's a secret. Can I give you a secret? We just used this recently. My daughter was, my daughter had to go to the emergency room earlier this year and, um, they, uh, she's an adult now. And so I told her, you know, you've got to handle this. You've got to work through this. Uh, but I told her, uh, when they give you this, make sure you make sure you demand an itemized bill because they were giving her this huge bill for this for this ER visit. And our, she has insurance. We have insurance. But she was still getting hit with this huge part of the bill. And I said, make sure that you ask for an – you demand an itemized line-by-line -line bill. And so she called and said, look, I'm currently unemployed. I'm making payments. The payments are small, but we got to figure something out here. Oh, and oh, by the way, I need a – line-by-line line itemized bill of everything you're charging me for here because this bill seems pretty high. And what did they do? Oh, we'll, we'll be happy to clear that up for a fifth of what we just told you. <laughs> Who's paying for all that extra free medical? You are. You are. You just don't know it. Um... Alaska is the only state where Medicaid reimbursements are higher than Medicare. Medicare is not optional. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a job. Okay. Um, why do you listen, Harold? That's my that's my question. Um, why do you why do you listen? Is it just because you? You would just love to be contrary. Is that the thing? You know, you keep talking about how you miss Dan Fagan. Well, go listen to Dan Fagan. Oh, wait, Dan Fagan's not on the air anymore because he couldn't hack it because he was a pussy. Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. Okay. Got it. He was consistently conservative. <laughs> if you only knew Dan Fagan. Oh, Harold. If you only knew, my friend. Oh, my God. Oh, it, it, it is amusing. He isn't. But again, Harold showed his colors when he talked about all this stuff. Uh, he's the only conservative lesson in the state of Alaska, but he won't do business with the private sector because they don't have any money. He's only going to do business with the government sector. So I know now why you talk so much because your mouth is stuck in a permanent oh from sucking on the government teeth so much. That's what's happening. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show.
All right, welcome back to the program. They <laughs> said, tell, tell me what you really think, Michael. Oh, you don't want to know what I really think because I could probably be busted off the air by the FCC if I told you what I really thought today. Um, all right, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. One final segment here of the program. I'm going to try and get to number three, which was the Juno School District issue, because I got some things to say about that as well. But let's get back to this letter from Donna Mears, who's a representative for Anchorage. Um, and she has this article, this opinion piece in the ADN, talking about what a tragedy it would be. Tragic, tragic that people would get off of Medicaid. Um, that it's shocking, shocking, I tell you, that 150,000 people could lose their Medicaid coverage because they don't qualify. This is basically an entire pitch to just expand Medicaid coverage to keep these people enrolled, to keep the government spend going. And then she goes on because she apparently went to the Adam Smith School of Business and understands economics completely. She goes on to talk about it's a crisis for the whole economy. And she... <laughs> Let me just talk about the tone deafness of Donna Mears and others. It's not just Donna. I'm sure she's a wonderful lady. Don't get me wrong. But this is the mindset. Here's what she wrote. With more than one in three Alaskans enrolled at the start of the year, the Medicaid program represents an enormous injection of federal money into our economy every year. She acts like that's a good thing. That one in three, that one third of our population is dependent on government for this stuff. And that we, in turn, as an economy, are now dependent on it every year. Oh, we, the state paid out roughly $2.2 billion in Medicaid benefits in 2022, of which $1.7 billion came from the federal government. Again, that just the sounds of, we need all that money, Uncle Sugar, can you help us out? One point, we paid basically for a quarter of it. The federal government paid for $1.7 billion. What happens when the federal government runs out of money? I mean, I know people say that'll never happen. I don't know if you've been watching what's going on, but it ain't great at the national level. I mean, somebody's eventually going to have to call a woe back. Either they're going to have to cut the spending or the wheels will come off the bus and something else will happen. But one or the other, because you can't continue to spend money you don't have. I don't care how big you think you are. I don't think if you think you're too big to fail, it's going to be okay. I mean, I just got I got three words for you for those of you who think that it's just too big to fail. Holy Roman Empire. End of story. Too big to fail. Including economic activity associated with that spending, the $2.2 billion, Medicaid directly generates nearly $4.5 billion in GDP, 7% of the statewide total. 7% of our entire GDP is based exclusively on the welfare spending. I mean, she, she acts like this is, is like with a smile on her face, like this is what we need. We need more of this. It shouldn't be 7%. It should be 14, 20, 25. If we cut our Medicaid population by more than 
Alaska's GDP could shrink by nearly 4%. That's a recession right there. Newsflash, genius. We have been in a recession in this state for years. We get little tiny micro bumps, but we're basically been in a recession. I mean, it's it's huge. Oh, and all that deficit spending, that's really going to help us in the long run as well. Then she goes on to talk about SNAP, which is the food stamp program, and how all this other kinds of stuff. But, I mean, I feel like that's a whole other article about what we need to do. Oh, we've got a backlog in SNAP, and we've got all this other. Yes. Yes. We have a dependency state. We have a welfare state. We have a state where everybody's dependent on the government, and it's a crisis when we just can't get to it fast enough. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. Government is inefficient in its movements, and this is just one. This whole – I I wish – I hope you all go out and read this article and read the entire thing and then, you know, email me and tell me what you think. Am I being overly harsh on Ms. Mears? Ms. Ms. Mears? I don't know if it's Mrs. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't know if it's – I don't know if I'm being too harsh on her or if I'm just getting a snapshot into the mind of a person that's supposed to be looking out for all Alaskans. But all this sounds like is a plea for more government spend into the economy. And how pleased she is that one-third of all people are on welfare. Medical welfare, in this case. It's insane. All right, I I, I want to make a... i got about four minutes here. I want to make a brief commentary on the news story that Brad was talking about. The Juneau school districts, they get the good news and the bad news, right? The bad news is they lost $2.8 million due to low enrollment, but they also got the good news of they're getting the $2.3 million back for the outside non-educational spending. Okay, couple things to point out here. First and foremost, this is not just a Juneau problem. As Carlene just mentioned, she said 10%. I haven't seen the numbers from Kodiak. And, of course, they're just finished. I think today or yesterday was the last day of the counting period for the students for student enrollment where they got to count the butts in the seat to see how many students are enrolled for this year. But I know already that enrollment is down over 5% in almost every district in the state. Many more of those parents have decided to vote with their feet and move their kids to public or to private schools or to to charter schools or to a shared plan or a learning pod or homeschooling or whatever they're doing. But it's another 5% drop. Do you think that they're going to ask for 5% less funding this coming year? Or do you think it's going to be more? I mean, I'm asking for a friend. Do you think it's going to be? I mean, they have this. And this is a national problem, my friends. This is not just we talked about this with Sarah yesterday, Sarah Montalbano. This is a national problem. Enrollment in public school is down across the country. Because a lot of people had their eyes open during the pandemic about just how much these people really care about your kids. Oh, we won't go back to school until the social justice and there's equity in the thing and we've spread the wealth and distribution and all this other kind of stuff. That's all was coming out of California, by the way. They had all those demands that we're not going to until there's social justice. We're not going to open schools up again. Holding your kids hostage. This is how much they really care about the children. The net effect is, of course, is that enrollment in public school systems is cratering across the country faster than any curve that they expected. And so you're going to see a huge enrollment dip across the state of Alaska as well. 
Do you think it's going to slow down their ask? No. You think they're going to ask for more? Yes. I, you know, they buckle up. This is coming. And I think it's just going to get worse as more and more parents discover that they were able to do things differently with their kids than make all. Now, let me comment quickly on this because I find this whole idea of this federal balancing act offensive. That what they're talking about was this uh, uh, the federal rule that says no community can have an education system that's funded 25% higher than the lowest system because of inequity. What? You can't fund outside of the school programs and the federal dollars. You can't fund beyond that if you want, even if you wanted to. It would be against federal law because the state takes this federal money. Remember, there's always a hook, uh, a hook in the money. The hook in taking this money is that no district can be more than 25% higher in relative wealth or expenditures than any other. To which I go, what? What if what if a community wants to give more to their education system than some other community? Shouldn't that be a right? No, no, we can't do it. All the animals must be equal. The federal government coming down and saying, you can't spend more money on your kids in your community because we said so. You know what? You know what that sounds like? Boy, that sounds a lot like centralized planning and sounds like something the Politburo would have said back in the day. I mean, if you don't like your lower schools, your lower in, you know dollar amount schools, you could move to these other communities or are willing to spend more. It's still a free country, right? Oh, we've all got to be equal. All right, I'm out of time. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Ah, I ran out of time. Okay. I mean, I just, you know, it's so insane. This this whole thing. Or oh, thank you for the uh, thank you for the super sticker. My man Jeremy out there hit me with a super sticker. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I appreciate you supporting the show. Um. I just got to say, yeah, read that opinion piece. Go read that opinion piece and tell me what your thoughts are. Send me an email. I'm I'm so amazed that this is the mentality and the attitude that they just can't fathom the fact that somebody would want to stop the government spend on that. Anyway. I need a, I need a Chris story moment. I might have to go call Chris after the show. Uh, I will be back with you tomorrow. I appreciate you guys coming on board and joining us. Yes, even you, Harold. As entertaining as that might be sometimes. Here we go. We're going to be out of here. Go uh, dress up. I'm all dressed up as a grumpy old man today. How'd I do? How'd I do? Grumpy old who's damn kids? Who's going to tell you whippersnappers and spending all the money? There you go. All right, my friends, we will see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 